0: Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 30. Psalm 30, to you're tuning there, turning there. few of you might know of the name of Natan Sharansky. few of you may know that. He was given a congressional medal, gold medal in 1986, and the Medal of Freedom from the President in 2006. For those of you that don't know who this person is, Natan Sharansky, let me enlighten you. Natan was a Jewish male uh, living in the Soviet Union, and was imprisoned by KGB in Russia. was in prison for nine years and refused the right to leave Russia to become a citizen of Israel. Days before his, arre- his arrest, Natan received from his wife a small book in Hebrew. It was the book of Psalms. He poured over it in his years in jail. Nine years reading and rereading and memorizing the text. he's finally released in 1986 they refuse to allow him to leave with his book of Psalms and they're like you gotta go we're gonna let you free go ahead and the plane was right before him and he dropped to the ground and says I will not leave without my Psalms book and now this point of contention happened he's either going back to jail or he's getting on the plane but he's like I refuse to move Until you return my book of Psalms. Because he had committed a vow to himself that if he would ever get out, he wanted to read a particular psalm on the day of his delivery from prison. They gave him back his psalms. So on the plane, as he's heading back now to Israel, his new home, he pulled out his book of Psalms and read Psalm 30. Why this psalm? What's so impactful about this psalm? I mean, out of all the psalms you could pick, if I asked you to give me your top ten psalms, I bet you this doesn't make the list. Why was it so impactful for Natan Shiratsky at that time? Throughout our study of the psalms, we've encountered numerous emotions, and the psalm will speak again of the ups and downs of life. It's it's real life. But what is it about this psalm that's so impactful? I I think for you and for me, if we would allow this psalm and meditate on the psalm, we allow this psalm to speak to our heart, this could become one of our favorites, especially if, you've, if you have endured hardship. Let's read it, Psalm 31 through 12. A psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord. For you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol, restored to me life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried. To the Lord, I plead for mercy. What what profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. First, we see David recognizes God's deeds. He recognizes God's deeds in verses one through three. Before we get to verses one through three, let's start just with the title: A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. Some of your translations, instead of temple, will say house. It's the same word. It can be used either way. But if you recall from our, our last psalm, David wasn't alive when the temple was built. So either. We have this sense of this could mean house, it could mean tabernacle, it could mean temple. It's possible that the psalm was written in dedication of the tabernacle. When, remember when David's dancing before the Lord and they're bringing the ark and they're saying lift up, O gates, and they're trying to bring the ark of the covenant in. This could be at that moment. It could be the dedication for actually for David's own house that he built. Remember, he built his house and realizes there's no house for the Lord. And the Lord's like, I don't need a house. I'm fine. <laughs> really, I'm okay. Where are you going to store me? You know, the earth is my footstool. Come on, David. But it it could be for the dedication for his own home, or it could be that David wrote this for the dedication of the temple, knowing by faith that God had promised him that Solomon would do this. We don't know which one of those three. I think it fits best because of the end of the text. I think it fits best with David um, bringing the temple, uh, sorry, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant into uh, Jerusalem. I think it fits best there. You could disagree with me. If you do, high five. On the way out. But it seems like it fits best there because of the description of him at the end. And it seems like that's what happened on the day when they were bringing it in. But let's look at these verses here, recognizing the works of the Lord. Verse 1 I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. David extolls or lifts up or, or praises the name of the Lord. Why? Because the Lord has lifted him up. I'm going to lift up your name because you have lifted me up. David says, you've drawn me up. You have picked me up. On top of the Lord lifting David up, the Lord has kept David's foes from rejoicing over him. If you, if you read the story of David, you see often he's facing foes, and God has granted him time and time again victory or, or safety in the midst of harm. In verse 2, David cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord healed him. This could be a physical disease that we don't know of. I think more likely it's speaking of the near-death experiences that he had often. Uh, Again, reading the life of David, you see time and time again where he was faced with near-death experience. He's (laughs) playing an instrument for the king. He's chucking javelins at him. He's hiding in caves and crags and trying to keep alive. Whatever is going on in David's life, he uses this this almost resurrection language. Look at verses 2 and 3. The Lord's raising him up. The Lord's raising him up from Sheol or the grave or the underworld. The Lord has kept him alive. As hard as times have been for David, the focus, though, is less on what he's experiencing. What are the details of his predicament? We, We don't have that. It's more on who got him through the predicament. There's a change of focus on this. Oftentimes in life, you and I can get so bogged down by what has happened to me, what has happened to us. Have you ever had to go through a hard time, and then you're telling somebody what you're going through, and it's almost like you're reliving the same exact emotions again and again? And we do that sometimes because we want sympathy, we want others to, to feel what we feel, but sometimes those emotions just come because it's real. David changes that, instead of let, instead of let me give you all the details of how it went bad and how it went wrong, let, let me instead tell you about who got me through. Do you understand the difference in this? Changing the perspective of it's the details where we can get bogged down and going, man, it's so awful, so awful, so awful, but you're still here. Everyone look at me. You're still here. God has carried you through. And that's where David's focus is on. He has got me through. Was it bad? Yes. Was it awful? Yes. Was it a terrible, horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day? Absolutely. What about it was so bad? Pause there. Let me tell you about it. who was so good through it all. The Lord carried me through. Some of us here ha- have experienced that even recently. The Lord carrying you through amazing difficulty. You know the accuser of the brethren. The warrior, the roaring lion, seeking whom he made of ours, going to want you to get bogged down in how bad life is, as if God has forgotten you. But Christian, you are still here. God has carried you through, and that's what David would have us recall. We sang earlier. What truth can calm a troubled soul? What's the answer? God is good. God is good. What truth can calm your troubled soul? God is good. So recognize the work of the Lord in your life. Recognize his staying presence. Recognize his ability to lift you up out of the pit. Recognize he hears your cry. Recognize that he can heal you and your soul. He can restore you and your soul. He can do these things. And if you're on the other side of your dark valley, recognize he for you on eagle's wings. If you lost a father, a mother, a spouse, a sibling, if you're enduring the worst illness of your life, he, why have you made it this far? Why did the Lord take you when He took the one you loved? He has brought you through this experience, He's borne you up, lifted you up out. For a purpose, and you'll see at the very end, I promise you, there is a reason God brought you through. There's a reason for it. It's not purposeless. Remember the disciples look at the lame man, well, why did this happen? Is it because his parents sinned? He goes, no, that the, that the works of God may be known. There's a reason for these things, Christian. The Lord has carried you through recognize, even in the darkest times, if you didn't have power and you couldn't see the hand in front of your face, recognize even at that moment, in the darkest times of your life, He is still good. God is good all the time, and all the time. God is good. What truth can calm a troubled soul? God is good. Recognize also God's favor. David turns from this personal now to the corporate, verse 4 and 5. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. He's talking to the assembly. Give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The Lord has done great and mighty things. He's holy, he's worthy of our praise, and part of his amazing praiseworthiness is this fact that his anger is short it's momentary and his favor is eternal it's for a lifetime David knew all too well as you and I do that we make poor decisions ever made a poor decision that cost you dearly you made a poor decision a sin that didn't just cost you but it cost others and like a disease, man, it just impacted. Like I, d- I didn't think, I didn't know, right? You ever talk to a teenager after they blow it and it's impacting your entire home and maybe those beyond? they are like, what were you thinking? I wasn't, I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't realize, I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to. David had a few of these choices, didn't he? That impacted, not, not, not just talking about him and Bathsheba, but it impacts where, The entire nation is feeling the ramifications of his personal choices. He knew the corrective, disciplining hand of the Lord. But he knew it was short. The flip of that is his favor for those that know him is eternal. Mom and dad, you you and I, we, we blow it at times. Maybe all the time when we try to correctly discipline our children, it was the right thing to do, but maybe in the wrong way or the wrong time, or the wrong manner. But do you love your child? Does them blowing it remove their favor from you? If you can understand that, then understand when God sees us blow it and he's having to put his corrective hand discipline on us, it's short. It's a quick trip to the bedroom or a long walk to the shed. But his favor, his love, lasts forever. It's forever for those that know him. Life may bring hardship your way. You may bring hardship your way. But for those that know Christ and are willing to faithfully follow him, they know that these seasons are momentary. This light affliction Paul talks about. And it feels like there's weeping at night, but joy comes in the morning. Speaking on this verse, one commentator said the important thing to note is that the psalmist is grounding the call for the congregation to praise in the confession that God's favor is longer and God's favor is stronger God's anger, God's favor suffices both to give life and last a lifetime recognize God's deeds in the dark but also recognize that you have his favor we talked about this before, you remember when the angel meets Mary in Luke 1 he goes, you are highly favored and the Catholic Church says, well that's because she's better than any of all of us but you take that same exact word and look in Ephesians 1:6 and you are favored those that know Jesus as your savior we are highly favored in him for all time because we've been blessed by the beloved you've been graced this is that word we've been graced by God Christian you have his grace today tomorrow, and for all eternity. That's our rainbow, and it's there every day. The grace of God is yours, if you know Him as your Savior. Also, we need to recognize our need of God. It turns now to, again, a personal confession. I'm, I'm recognizing God's deed. I've recognized His favor on my life. But I also have to recognize, I, I, I need Him. I need Him. Look at verse 6, As for me, I said in my prosperity, uh uh-oh, I shall never be moved. This sounds like a young teenage boy, young college student guy. The world is his to conquer. He's invincible. Nothing's going to go wrong, right? I know it all. I got it all. I can handle it all. And I haven't even paid one insurance bill yet, (laughs) right? I got it all. I'm good. I said, in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. David was doing good. Scratch that. He's doing great. Life is good. I'm doing great. You ever been on the mountaintop? Everything's going right spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. It's just like checkbox, checkbox. Man, this is great. Sometimes that feels like it's 15 seconds long. <laughs> and then it's, where would it go? Sometimes you have seasons where those boxes are being checked. Like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Things can go so well. And when things go so well, we can, in those moments, almost believe that we deserve the good. Or, even worse, we believe the good happened because of us. Look at all I've accomplished. Look at all I've done. Look at this. I've put myself here on the mountaintop. Things are good. Things are great. And in those moments, we forget the Lord, His grace, His mercy, and all He's done with us. God's good can at times lead to our complacency because we mistake His blessing for our own intuition. we don't continue to recognize his deeds and his favor what happens verse 7 by your favor O lord you made my mountain stand strong i'm fixed you hid your face i was dismayed david earlier recognized god's favor does so again in verse 7 but w- when david lived in the light of god's favor it was like god had placed him on the mountaintop and had fixed him and he's unmovable god you put me here But in prosperity and complacency, David forgot to live in the light of God's favor and forgot to recall the deeds of the Lord. And suddenly, the mountaintop seemed like a bad dream. It's like being on a mountaintop, knowing how you got up, but knowing you can't get back down. You ever had that experience physically? You got up somewhere, and then you turn around and you're like, man, this is beautiful and they turn around like, I gotta get back down I'm like, oh no. Uh, I'm not sure I like this position. You ever climb somewhere? Here we go. I remember we were on a mission trip years ago with, with our teens in Colorado and I was at my buddy's church, my best man in my wedding church in Colorado. We are trying to help his church out and he took us out, we're out hiking in these mountains, and we got up this crag where you had to kind of go between two rocks, and you had to use your arms and your shoes and you shuffle up to get up to this part, it's only 15 feet up. It wasn't the 15 feet up, it was that the ledge that we were on was only about four feet wide. Going up, no problem. You had guys above you, guys below you. When we kept climbing higher up on the mountain, and I'm wearing old lawn shoes that because I don't want to get shoes dirty. So I was like, I'll take my old shoes. We can toss them away. They get dirty. Just throw them away. Well, th- there's, there's no tread on those. And so we got to come down, and I got to shimmy between these two same rocks, and it's 15 feet. And it's not the 15 feet. You can drop 15 feet. It's if, if you don't hit that four-foot ledge, you keep going. And, and, and the only thing catching you will be sharp rocks. All of a sudden, you're up. This is amazing. Look at the view. And then we get back to you, and I'm like, I'm not sure this is going to go well. I needed help. I I needed somebody to help me get down between those two rocks. We had no ropes. We had nothing. We just had a bunch of moronic guys that did something that looked cool, and then realized when we got up there, We didn't think this one through very well. That's about what it was. God's favor had brought David to the mountaintop, to this immovable, fixed position, and all of a sudden, he got complacent in his prosperity and hubris. He lived as though he put himself there. And like Samson, David doesn't realize when the Lord leaves. He's... Look at, all, look at all I have and then all of a sudden he starts looking down man that's pretty far down I got Lord wh- uh, where are you at all of a sudden things change the face of God where, where is that I'm all alone now the mountaintop is terrifying, the heights, the cliffs, the crags, the sharp precipice. There's no way down. So what's David to do? Look at verse eight. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. David turns to the Lord and can't you get his picture this prayer? He's walking up with God, enjoying his presence, living in his favor. It's a breeze to the top, unmovable. Then you enjoy the top, you enjoy the view, you think of all you've done, and in your prosperity, you forget to bask in the favor of the Lord, and maybe you even ask others to bask in your greatness. Look at what I've done. Look at all we've accomplished in the last couple years. What an amazing feat. And you snap to. David realizes how awful it is to be in this position. God, where are you? Where'd you go? But you show me mercy be easy, and even in my own heart, if I'm just being real honest with you, it's easy for, for us to see where the Lord has brought to church in the last few years. A couple of goals that I had coming in here are things that I thought if we could get to these markers, it would be huge for the church. Three of those that I had in my mind. One, we got to get rid of this debt. Two, we have to revolutionize our missions program. And three, we need to have the men in this church that meet the qualifications of an elder put in that position well, it, if you've never been here look over at that column over there and you'll see a couple numbers that talk about how our debt got paid off in 74 days in, a, in an amazing way I, if you don't know the story talk to somebody after church they'll spill the beans it's amazing we may be able to with that debt be able to do more for missions, although not enough yet we need to do more We're going to have to give more. We're going to have to do more. And I think there's a way we can move forward with that. But I feel like we're heading in the right direction. And at the end of last year, we voted to change our constitution, which we're still working on. I promise it's close to to go to the deacons. We're real close. But we're working on that to put the men in our church that meet the qualifications of the pastor elder to actually be in that position. Just put the round peg in the round hole and the square peg in the square hole. can be easy for me to think, look at all I've accomplished in the last couple years, what we've accomplished. And you should reply, you moron. Are you kidding me? Who allows the debt to get paid off in 74 days? I got a phone call from our little next unit. How did you guys pull this off? What, What was your Fundraising technique. Like fundraising technique. <laughs> Jehovah, I don't know, like Jehovah Jireh, that was our fundraising technique. He provided. That helped head us in the right direction for missions. How do we vote on a constitution change, private, and come back 100%? Must be good leadership. Does that hit you strange? It should leadership. Crying out loud, he's on the throne. If he can use Egypt, if he can use Pharaoh in Egypt to release a million plus Jews, pretty sure he can work through this moron <laughs> to create good in his name. You're like, well, I don't like using that term about yourself, pastor. You should use it for yourself too. We are sinners born going astray, but by the grace of God, our lives have revolutionized. And we get to the mountaintop, I get to the mountaintop, and I forget to bask in his deeds and in his favor. And at times I think, look at all I've done. God, forgive me. So why does David then cry for mercy? Because he needs it. Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to you. He needs him. So David asks these questions in verse 9 and 10. He's going to ask the Lord some questions in, in this beg for mercy. What prophet is there in my death? He's asking the Lord, If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? We could fast forward to the New Testament. God said the rocks will cry out. So, like, well, if he wants it to, it can, David. But he asks the next question, verse 10: Hear, O Lord, He'd be merciful to me. He goes, but he said, Oh, sorry, after that, will it tell of your faithfulness? Will it dust tell of your faithfulness? Here, O oh Lord, be merciful to me. O oh Lord, be my helper. Do you get what David's saying here? Lord, if you show mercy to me, you forgive me for the umpteenth time, instead of just snuffing me out like I deserve. Who's going to praise you? This is mutually beneficial. You deliver me, and I promise I will in return do two things. What are the two things that David is saying he will do? I will praise you. I will proclaim your faithfulness. Two things. Will the dust praise you? No. So you spare me, I will. Will the dust declare your faithfulness? No. But if you spare me, I will. I will praise, and I will proclaim. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'll praise God and I'll proclaim you to others. Praise Him. Proclaim Him. Praise God for His greatness and tell others about His greatness. This is a good focus for life. Lastly, we see David recognize God's purpose. You're wondering why. Now that you're on the other side of the deep, on the other side of the dark, or maybe you're still in it, you're wondering, why is the Lord having me going through what I'm going through? David's going to give you a glimpse into why the Lord had him go through what he went through. And again, sometimes we put ourselves in these tight spots. David did in this situation, just like I did climbing up that dumb mountain. Sometimes we put ourselves in precarious spots. Sometimes they just find us. But David gives, recognizing God's purpose, here it is. You've turned for me, my mourning, into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you. Weeping had endured for the night, but joy came in the morning. God has tossed David's sackcloth clothes away and said he robes him in gladness. A complete reversal of what had been going on in his life. But why did God do this? We get the answer with the first word in verse 12. If you have the ESV or the NIV, it's the word that. If you have the CSB, I think it's so that, and the King James to that end. Why did God do this? That my glory may sing your praise. There's a reason why you brought me through this, and there's a reason why you've turned my mourning into dancing. Which again, that word I think fits in with the dedication of the temple, tabernacle, bring it in. But God does not want him to be silent, He wants him to return in praise. David realizes that God has blessed him and favored him, God has given him a position of glory and majesty. That became for David a distraction, didn't it? All of a sudden, look at the kingdom I have built. Remember when he sent out Joab to, to go count the men to see how big his army was? And he's like, what on earth are you doing? Why on earth are you doing this? Look at all I've accomplished. And all of a sudden, a problem ensued for the entire nation of Israel because of his sin and his pride and his hubris. David realizes the Lord has blessed me the Lord has brought me to this point so that I could, in turn, use the blessing and favor of God as a mirror to show the world who He is. Man, things are going right. Man, what is going on here? Things are going right, and you just take that mirror and you're like, it's God. He He's brought me through. He's done A, B, C, and D. You wouldn't you wouldn't believe if I told you. But let me tell you anyways, because the dust isn't going to proclaim, praise him. The dust isn't going to declare his faithfulness. I am. David confirms this with the last line, which states, Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Christian, when God does the things he does for you, he does not do it so you can stay silent. God carries you through on eagle's wings. He doesn't do it so you can keep your mouth shut. God brings you through so you can give him the praise he deserves. Earlier I told you the story of Natan Sharansky and the psalm that impacted his life. This psalm, for nine years, it seemed like weeping would endure. For nine years, it seemed like night was endless and as day would never come. He believed the morning would come. Similarly, in Israel's history, there's another moment when themes, things seemed dark in 164 B.C. Antiochus Epiphanes fulfilled a prophecy of Daniel in what's called the abomination of desolation. Antiochus Epiphanes, a Syrian king and ruler of Palestine, walked in, he walked into the temple of Jerusalem, desecrated the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar, to the Greek God Zeus desecrating the temple it was a dark time in Israel night had come but by God's grace things turned around you can read about this historically it's called the Maccabean revolt and the Israelites got to clean and rededicate the temple guess what psalm they used to dedicate the temple after this awful experience psalm 30 weeping had come mourning was rampant but god had turned their mourning into dancing and their sackcloth to gladness christian you may identify with these stories and perhaps you are still in the dark you're in the valley and you feel like the mountains are climbing over you and they're about ready to crumble in Maybe you've done nothing to put yourself in the spot, but the dark has just found you. May this psalm cause you to recognize God's deeds. He is good. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. Recount His deeds. Recognize His favor. Recognize how much you still need Him now and recognize his purpose for you even in the midst of the storm God if you bring me through here I will praise you and I will proclaim your faithfulness so what does all this mean for us today first off friend do you recognize your need for God's mercy do you recognize your need for God's mercy verse 10 David says hear O Lord and be merciful to me our scripture today would which Miss Kimberly read for us What's from Luke 18? I picked this text because it picks up on this phrase from the psalm. Luke 18, the Lord shares a parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee had this prayer that impressed those around him. And if you, if you read the beginning, or if you heard the beginning of what she read, in verse 9 of chapter 18, the Pharisees, the Lord tol- tells a story about the Pharisees and this prayer, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Because verse 9, because they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They were self-made. They were like David on that mountain. I'm unmovable. I I don't need anything. I got life. I'm good. I don't need the Lord. They trusted in themselves that they're righteous. He goes, let me tell you a parable about somebody who lives like this, who doesn't believe that they need my mercy. Somebody who believes that they can get to heaven on their own. Let me tell you a story about this. He tells a story about the Pharisee who has this impressive prayer. What a good guy. And then you read from the tax collector, in Luke 18, 12, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Of this prayer, Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, righteous. Friend, y- you don't get the righteousness of God. By doing good, you can't earn it. There's no list of things you can do to become righteous in his eyes other than beg him for mercy. Lord, save. God, forgive. I cry out to you for mercy, and when you do that, he does. Not because you're good, but because he is good all the time. Friend, cry out. What did we sing earlier? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Friend, you can do that today. Admit that you and I, that we blow it. We sin. Sin is just, we're disobeying the good rules of God. We know what he's told us to do. We, we, just, we chose option B. Admit that you and I, that we are sinners believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He did come, he did rise, he did die, he did ascend on high, and he still lives today to intercede on behalf of his own. Then call out to him, God, save me. That's not an impressive prayer that gets you there. It's just a declaration of heart. I need you. Forgive me. I want to be yours like the thief on the cross, and enter into a sweet relationship with your Savior King and enjoy His favor forever. I beg you, do that today. If you don't know how you can do that, see myself, see a Christian friend you came with, we'd love to walk you through how you can do that. Now for those that claim to be Christian, those that claim to know the Lord as your Savior, Christian, do you, like David, need to repent? Perhaps you put yourself in a dark spot. Perhaps you realize like David that you're living apart from the Lord's favor and like David, you're living in self-made prosperity. Look at all I've done. Life is good. Confess this, Christian. Forsake it. You need the Lord. You need him. Every hour, you need Him. At the same time, there may be those here that are in in the dark, they're weeping and adoring, waiting for the morning to come. And you're like, I don't, there's no light at the end of this tunnel. Christian, will you trust your Savior to see you through until the morning comes? I wish I could guarantee to each one of you that if you're in the dark, that you will see the light on this side of glory. I can't. Sometimes the Lord has us weighed in that dark, faithful to Him, that His glory may be known to the world around us. Who knows the good that you will do by simply staying put staying faithful, waiting for the morning to come. Christian, trust that it will come. It may come in a week. It may come in a year. It may come when you wake up and you see your Savior face to face. But dawn will come. It will. Trust Him to get you to that point. He promises i will never leave you. He promises He will never forsake you. By faith, recognize even now His good deeds towards you in the dark. By faith, recognize His favor is on you. By faith, recognize His purpose for you even in the midst of the storm. By faith, trust that your Savior will turn your mourning into dancing. It's a song I can only imagine. he says, am I going to dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you? Be? So when you stand and see Jesus face to face, what are you going to do? Sing, shout, drop down to your knees and humble, just what on earth? What's it going to be like when the morning comes? Because there is coming a morning when the morning will stay. And the Lord will be our light. There's no need for sun. There's no need for moon. There's no need for source for He Himself will be our light and just bask in the light of our God. Morning will come. So as we hold on to these temporary light afflictions, trust our Savior to get you through because neither height or depth or principalities, power nor anything will remove you from His love. Christian, trust Him, even now. Speaking of purpose, are you living out God's purpose for you? You're like, Pastor, I don't know what God's purpose for my life is. Do you truly not know His purpose for your life? A couple times He'll tell you, just directly, this is my will for your life. Three times, you can read it in the New Testament, say that for yourself. What do you say? This is my will for you now. We won't even go there. Let's just stay here in this psalm. Let me give you two things you can fulfill today. Guaranteeing you're fulfilling out God's purpose for your life. Praise Him, proclaim Him. Praise Him for who He is and what He's done. Tell as many people you can of His faithfulness. Praise Him and proclaim Him. By faith, will you proclaim His goodness no matter how dark the dark feels? By faith, will you choose to proclaim His goodness to those around you? Tell your neighbors, your coworkers, family, God is good all the time. And all the time. God is good. Speaking of praising him, will you join me now in praising the Lord? We're going to bow forward to prayer, but think through just some of these descriptions of, of our God in the Psalm. He is our healer, He's restorer of our souls. He's holy. His favor is eternal. He makes us stand strong. He heals us. He hears us. He's merciful. He robes us in gladness. Will you join me in thanking him for who he is? Let's bow forward a prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We exalt you, O Lord, our God, for you have lifted us up out of the depths. You did not let our foes gloat over us. So, Lord, we cry to you for help and healing came. Lord, you brought us from the grave and pit. You spared us from great shame. So, Lord, we sing praise. Lord, for our friends here, maybe someone who's been here their entire life, maybe somebody who this is their first time today or first time in a long time. Maybe they've come, they realize, I have never received the mercy of our God. Or may today be the day of salvation for them. Or keep them from trusting in themselves. Keep them from trusting in their own righteousness. And may they cry out like like the tax collector, God, have mercy on me. Lord, for our my brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christians that are here in this room. Lord, if they or I, either publicly or privately, have sins that are keeping us from walking in a right relationship with you, God, would you help us to repent and confess? We thank you for the example of David, who was no perfect man, but had a heart to repent when confronted. Lord, as your spirit confronts our hearts, would you help us to forsake the sin that we're holding on to? Lord, for those that are in darkness, that are in the valley right now, Lord, would you grant them the faith to trust you, to bear them up on eagles' wings and to bring them to a new dawn? Would you help them even in the darkness to recall your deeds, to recognize your favor, and to recognize your purpose for them even in the midst of the storm? Lord, would you in your kindness turn their mourning into dancing? For those here that have forgotten the purpose of life and maybe we're chasing after the American dream and 401ks and extra cars and extra homes, Lord, would you remind them there to praise you and proclaim you to everyone they see. Lastly, Lord, we'd be remiss to not just say thank you. What a mighty God we serve. Lord, you heal and restore, your favor is eternal. You make us stand strong. You are holy, and yet you hear us. You're holy, and yet you're merciful to us. Lord, you have the ability to robe us, not just in righteousness, but also in gladness. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.